Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode 177 of the Talking Chop podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland. It's not really an emergency podcast because we were planning on recording it tonight, but uh, a lot happened on this fine Wednesday. It's about 9.30. I guess it doesn't really matter now because there's not really any uh, incoming transactions that are uh, very possible at this point in time. But joining me today and this evening to talk about all of it is uh, Scott Coleman, who you just heard laugh. What's up, man? Yeah, Brad. Uh, yeah, we were we were texting about, I don't know maybe uh two eastern today going back and forth like man i hope i hope we get some deals going because if not uh, an emergency non-emergency podcast for chris martin is not the most thrilling thing in the world so it was good to uh get a couple of significant trades and it should be a lot of fun for sure um and i mean i think the funniest way to get into this is that you know the deadline arrives at 4 p.m. Eastern. The Braves played an early game today, um, and it was a wild one. We're not going to talk about too much about that one just because we're going to save the, the game stuff for Sunday and the normal podcast. But the bullpen was imploding on itself in the middle of the game on Wednesday as the Braves were trading for Shane Green, um, which I thought was poignant. Uh, the Braves won that game, but uh, it, it was amusing that the, the, that the bullpen uh, – collapsed in a big way on a day when the Braves added two relievers and one one day after adding another one. So three relievers in two days um, and right on time, I suppose. I mean, no, nothing new in, in the, on this podcast. When we talked about the bullpen for months now being glaring weakness, um, we thought it was the biggest weakness. Now, we, we definitely argued and talked about this on, on Sunday's podcast that they had other other areas to potentially address that we'll come back to, but the bullpen was always the spot forever that we've been talking about upgrading, and they definitely did that. If nothing else, the bullpen is uh, markedly better today than it was uh, just, just a few days ago, and I guess Shane Green is the headliner, so we can start there. Um, Shane Green for Joey Wentz and Travis Demerit. Um I thought that was a little bit light compared to what I thought it was going to be for someone like Shane Green. Now, we'll, we'll, we'll dig in on Shane Green a little bit as we go here, but... Other than the fact that you predicted that, which is hilarious, I wanted to ask you about, um, what did you make of that? I mean, you said, I think, in your prediction slash tweet, you said that was the most that you give up, so you nailed it, I suppose. I think that's a pretty good value is kind of where I, want, kind of where I wanted to start with this, but uh, where were you at on this? Yeah, I was pleasantly surprised, and yeah, I tweeted uh, that Wentz and Demerit would be kind of like the most I would give for Green, and and really, it's just more a product of paying for relievers as volatile as they can be. It's just kind of a dangerous game to be playing. So, um, yeah, I thought I when I saw the return, I thought it was light, um, especially when um, there were only so many re- controllable relievers out there. Uh, you know, Wentz is is certainly a prospect, um, a guy who uh, the Braves, I think, I believe he went 40th or 43rd. I always mix him up with um, with Tom Muller. But, I mean, a, a legitimate prospect and somebody who has maybe middle of the rotation upside, if not back end of the rotation upside. Um, and then Travis Demerit, who is kind of a weird prospect, kind of talk depends on who you talk to, uh, whether or not they believe he's a prospect or if he's more of just like a 4A organizational depth kind of guy. But um, to get Green, somebody who is an established closer, having a really good year this year, uh, a 1.18 ERA, even if that is a little bit on the lucky side, um, I think that says a lot about about him. And um, I, I think the Braves must have uh, had some interest in a while because he was somebody, if memory serves, they were linked to both last year's trade deadline and then this winter, uh, someone they've wanted to get their hands on for whatever reason it may be. And I think there's a little more, uh, there's there's room for a little bit of upside, not that uh, Detroit is a, is a bad organization by any means, but uh, somewhere that, that isn't as far along analytically as what Atlanta has built. So I'm, I'm a fan of the trade, and I think he's somebody who um, has a real chance to, to provide an upgrade in the ninth inning for the Braves. 
For sure. I, I do think, as you sort of allude to a little bit, that uh, Shane Green is a difficult evaluation in a lot of ways. Before we get to Green, I, I agree on, on the package. I mean, as much as I felt like it was kind of light, I think it's kind of what you said. It, it was an appropriate price. I, I did think that someone like Shane Green was going to be um, commanding a bigger price, but I also thought that would probably be an overpay. Most of the time on closures, especially like super non-dominant, like non-Craig Kimbrell prime closers, often generate a little bit of an overpay in these trade situations. And Shane Green is not prime Craig Kimbrell. Uh, despite the ERA this year, he's not a guy who's going to just absolutely lock down the ninth inning for you without fail. But, you know, he is better than the, what, the, what the Braves have had so far. And Wentz and Demerit, I mean, Demerit, I, I think I'm kind of a little bit higher on him than some, but he was 22nd on our Talking Chop prospect rankings. He was out of the top 30 in a couple spots. And he's he's 24 years old. He'll be 25 in September. That's what you're sort of getting at with the fringe status. And Wentz is a real prospect, but not an elite one. He was the top-rated prospect that was traded by the Braves. Um, and that makes sense because Shane Green was, was the number one commodity the Braves uh, acquired. So, an appropriate price tag, um, and, and like you said, a, a deal that I like. With that said, though, um, Green is interesting. You know, he's 30 years old. Uh, you mentioned the 1.18 ERA this year. That is definitely misleading. Um, there is there are some stats that would tell you that he might be improving a little bit uh, in terms of this season. You know, his ground ball rate's way up. His line drive line drive rate is way down. There's some encouraging signs there. But on, at the same time, a 3.7 FIP and a 3.8 XFIP with a 1.18 ERA uh, probably tells you that he's gonna, he's been a little bit lucky this season. Also, a 178 BABIP allowed this year. Um, without getting too deep into the stats, uh, not a situation where I'm believing the ERA in any way, shape, or form. And he's also been very hot and cold uh, season to season. Last year, he had a 5.12 ERA for the full year. The, the previous year was 2.66, but then in 2016, it was 5.82. Uh, in that season, he was pretty unlu- unlucky by the numbers, but definitely someone who has been hot and cold in his career. He is he is a closer, and if you like the closer experience thing, that is something that he can certainly provide. But, you know, all told, his career ERA is about 3.8, um, and his perif- his peripherals kind of support that. I think it might be, be- might be better than that now uh, with the improvements that he has made this season. But not someone who I would term to be like an absolutely dynamite lights out closer. Is he better than the options that the Braves have? Absolutely, and I would assume he's going to be the closer upon arrival, um, unless there's a surprise that I'm not seeing. But I, I do think that my guard is up a little bit on Shane Green. You still make the trade because you just needed that 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 guy pretty badly. But Green is someone who you could talk yourself into or out of based on the numbers. And uh, this year he's been good, no question about it. But his track record is definitely up and down. Yeah, I'm with you. And I think it's it's important to note, too, that as we've seen, especially in the second half of the year, it became more and more obvious that the Braves badly needed bullpen depth. Um, they realistically, as we talked about, I think, on, on Sunday night during the podcast, I mean, they have like three guys before today who <laughs> you really felt, I mean, not even like, okay, yeah, put them in there, the game's over. Guys who you're like, well, that's you know, they're the best of who they have, right? So I listened I listened back to what what we said on Sunday before this podcast and uh both of us at different times mentioned the fact that the Braves needed more than one option. Um, and it was like always like, all right, they, they need a starter and a reliever. And it's like, well, actually, they need more than one reliever. And they got three, which is more than I thought they were going to get. But uh, we were very clear, and I think we still believe now, that they needed multiple options. And they did that, which is nice. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's a trickle-down effect here, too. I was tweeting about it a little bit. And look, Luke Jackson has not been good over the last month or so. He's really struggled. Um, but at the same time, when you look at his numbers as at a whole – he's not a bad pitcher, right? I mean, it's not like he has no value. It's easy to forget that he basically was single-handedly saving the bullpen in the first two or three months of the season when everybody else was struggling. So, you know, in the ninth inning, when you give up a home run that ties the game, everything gets magnified versus if you give up a home run in a 6-2 to two game in the sixth inning. Um, I think he's somebody who needs to just kind of get a little bit of a mental breather. Uh, the workload might be catching up to him a little bit too. And, and again, it's, it's not a situation there was, there was talk today of, you know, oh, well, you're going to send Luke Jackson down to Gwinnett or, or get him off the roster. I mean, that's, that's ridiculous. He's too good of a pitcher for that. But because you've added these three guys, uh, especially Green and Melanson, who have some late inning experience, uh, you can shift Luke Jackson down to the seventh inning or, uh, you know, if you need to put him on a faux DL stint just to kind of let him rest and, and catch his breath a little bit, you can do that. Uh, same with Anthony Swarzak, who ever since coming off the IL with his shoulder problem has really struggled. He gave up another home run today to Matt Adams. Um, granted, he looked really good besides that one mistake pitch that he threw. 
Um, but somebody who, as we know, has a history of shoulder issues. And now all of a sudden, if you want to give Swarzak 10 days off to rest his shoulder and, and really be ready for the final six weeks or so of the year, you can do that much more comfortably uh, versus where we were 24 hours ago when he was one of two or three relievers you actually trusted in the bullpen. Yeah, absolutely, and we'll we'll touch on what, what we're what we're going to think about the entire bullpen picture later. But that's it's a good point that you know Green may not be Craig Kimbrell in his prime, but he you know he's all, all three of these guys are going to help, and he's the big ticket item based on his closer experience and the fact that he projects to be the ninth inning guy upon arrival. But um, they all kind of play in to uh, just the depth play that the Braves are making at this point in time. Uh, one last thing I wanted to mention on Green is that he is under control for next season which is uh, good. It's, it definitely adds to the value of this trade that he's not a pure rental. Um, arbitration can be um, fairly interesting. It's one of those things where, um, you know, he could be getting more money than you expect, especially if he were to hold on to this low, uh, this very low ERA, he might get a little bit more than you want to pay him next year. Um, but at the same time, uh, it's a situation where, you know, having that extra season of control is a positive. And that is uh, worth mentioning, particularly when we're talking about M- Mark Melanson in a second, who, uh, has a, has a season under control for a lot of money, and we'll get there. Um, but uh, you know, wanted to at least point that out that you know that that's a bit of an upside thing for Green is that he's not a free agent after this year. No, as a reliever, guys are volatile. Uh, we we've seen even guys who are supposed to be great um, suddenly not be so great. So having him for six million, seven million, something like that next year might not be the greatest thing in the world. Uh, Shouts to Rodas Piscaino, um, for instance, but uh, or even Edwin know, Diaz. Yeah, or Evan Diaz, who was incredible last season and is not incredible right now. Um, anything else that you want to say about Green specifically before we get to a break and the rest of uh, and the rest of these guys? No, I don't think so. As you mentioned, I think the big thing for me with him is is getting him for another year. Um, as you said, relievers can be funky, but at some point, I think the Braves didn't necessarily. Alex Anthopoulos, uh, when he spoke with the media afterwards, he kind of made a comment like, you know, we're starting to think about the bullpen next year because I'm guessing they're not going to want to start from ground zero once again uh, this winter and try to piece together a bullpen as they did this year. Um, so to have him and Melanson, even if you are paying them a little bit more than what you would ideally pay uh, a reliever, especially in Melanson's case, um, you do have two veteran guys who, again, anything can happen, but as long as their arms suddenly don't fall off, they're going to be able to at least be serviceable relievers for uh, the foreseeable future. Yep, and that is absolutely... Uh you know, helpful. Uh, I, I will say before we get to the break, I will say uh, I am all aboard the Shane Green continuing this 1.18 ERA bandwagon. If he wants to go ahead and do that um, and make me look silly for mentioning all of the peripheral <laughs> stats and the fact that uh, he's been a little bit lucky this year, I'm okay with that. If you want to ride yeah. the luck train to a 1.18 ERA for the rest of the season, uh, no qualms here from me. I just want to point that out. Though. Yeah, no, money in the bank, you take it all day. I mean, uh, you mean you don't want to have to keep covering your eyes every time the Braves have a one-run lead in the ninth inning? Because I'm enjoying that, personally. I think it was Dan Weiner of uh, of ESPN fame, who I uh, follow on Twitter and interact with regularly, um, who referenced, like, I'm not sure these guys are going to be good, but they're uh, they're different guys, and even if they're bad, it'll be, <laughs> ni- it'll, it'll be nice to watch different bad guys. And I, I, yeah. I had a good laugh, because I, I kind of identify with that. It's like, maybe, maybe these guys aren't going to be great because they're relievers, but they're not the same guys, and there's some solace in that. Yeah, I'm with you. Get some fresh blood in there, get you some depth. And uh, yeah, green is certainly uh, probably the biggest piece, and um, but not the only piece, which was important. Absolutely. All right, we're going to come back in a few seconds with uh, Mark Melanson talk and Martin talk and uh, unfortunately, Louise Gohara talk, and we'll, we'll be right back after this short break. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. 
Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. All right, Scott, we're back. And uh, deal number two that I wanted to reference, it was actually the deal that broke last of the three in terms of the reporting, but the Braves acquired Mark Melanson, a a veteran reliever, uh, a very very high-paid veteran reliever, but um, the package in exchange for him was Tristan Beck and Dan Winkler. Winkler famously had the lights-out first half last year. And has been out of the mix largely ever since. Uh, Tristan Beck is someone I don't know a lot about, honestly. He was on some prospect lists, um, mostly in the 20s and 30s um, of the Braves stuff. So I will defer to really Eric and those guys unless you have a take on him. But it was not a huge um, haul to send for Mark Melanson because Mark Melanson uh, makes a lot of money. Uh, the Braves, uh, I guess, apparently agreed to take all of his money according to multiple multiple reports at this point in time. And the headliner with Melanson is that next season he is he is owed $14 million. Um, you know, it's definitely helpful that he is a good pitcher, but that's a lot of money um, for someone who isn't probably going to be your closer and it, it probably is not going to be a super, super dominant player. Um, he was at one point incredible. He had a four-year run when he had like a, I think his, his like highest ERA was like 2.2 over four years. He was that good, but now he's not that anymore. He's now a solid you know, mid to late, um, mid to late, bull, uh, I guess bullpen guy. He's a very good pitcher, but not someone who's going to just break the bank in terms of being awesome. So, very high price tag, very low prospect um, haul, and you know, for a team, you know, for people like you and me that talk about money and it's not, it's not really our money to spend. I'm okay with that. Um, you know, it's it's probably better if if money doesn't matter, if Liberty Media is willing to spend up and Terry McGurk and those guys are willing to spend, it's better to use money instead of prospect capital. Uh, obviously you go, go back to the way that the Braves acquired like Tuki Toussaint, like taking on $10 million of Bronson Arroyo. Um, there's, there's ways that this, this can be a good thing if it doesn't affect your long term. And as a result of that, the money for next year is a consideration, but Mark Melanson is a good pitcher. So that actually matters. Yeah, you nailed it. I mean, I think if it's up to me, I'm, I would much rather pay an extra couple million dollars instead of the Giants sending cash over in exchange. Money. <laughs> sending over, right. Yeah, we're not the ones cutting the check. And, and I think, sure, it might restrict a little bit what they can do next year spending, but not not too much. You have to remember they, they have a pretty good situation uh, with their contracts next year. And of course, there's no salary cap or anything like that to consider. Um, yeah, as you said, Melanson's not... Uh, he's not the, the lights out game over closer that he was with Pittsburgh a few years ago, but he's been good. Um, once upon a time, I, he got off to such a bad start with the giants that everybody kind of pegged this four year deal as like this albatross that would never get him out of San Francisco. And, and he's actually been pretty good since a really rough start. Um, since joining the giants, he has a 3.33 FIP. Uh, his ERA is right around there too. So, uh, he's been consistently good. Um, a guy who is going to strike out a fair number of batters. His walk rate's up a little bit, but um, he does a good job keeping the ball in the park. Um, I also noticed the last two years, his BABIP has been really high. It's around 350. Um, and, and so you would wonder if the Braves' defense might help him out a little bit in that regard. Um, it it's also might just be one of those uh, small sample sizes because he's a reliever you know, throwing one inning every two or three days. But nonetheless, somebody who has some experience, he has some closing experience, um, somebody who is a veteran, uh, is well-regarded around the league, and, and has been around for a long time. So um, I was a fan of the move. I think the money was the one thing that truly surprised me. But again, if, if, it's, if I have the choice, I'd rather spend an extra couple million dollars and hang on to uh, hang on to my prospects versus – uh, giving up somebody better in your you know top ten of your system or whatever it may be in exchange for saving a couple million dollars. Yeah, absolutely, and we should give some credit. I'll do. I'll do. I'll, do, I'll go ahead and do that right now. We should give some credit to Liberty Media and Terry McGurk for being willing to spend this money. We were very critical of them um, for not spending in the off season, and uh, there is probably a, a path to talk about. You know, maybe maybe waiting until now to spend the money is not the greatest use of uh, resources and timing, but. I can't complain when, when, when they spend real money, especially going into next year like this. Um, to your point and when we just made, you know, 
spending the money is better than spending the capital, but they still have to spend the money. You have to get approval to do that. And Anthopolis admitted that, you know, he definitely thanked basically his bosses for being willing to spend. They're now running a higher payroll than before the season. And when you remember that they also signed Dallas Keuchel midseason, they spent some real money on this team. So it's time for me to acknowledge that right now publicly and, you know, praise them a little bit for go ahead and go ahead and do that. Um, it, it's a very good thing that they were able to do that. And I think, you know, it took them basically having a, at least on paper, at least in the standings, a World Series contending team to go out and do that, but they went out and did it. So the team now is much better than it was, and part of that's being willing to spend on guys like Mark Melanson and Dallas Keuchel. So shouts to them for uh, opening up the bank a little bit and letting Anthopolis uh, work some magic. Um, you know, Melanson, I saw some, I can't remember who, I think it might have been Chris Towers of CBS, somebody, somebody of that ilk, somebody that does this for a living. I was talking about how he actually thinks that Melanson would be better than Shane Green as a closer right now. Um, I won't go that far, but it wouldn't stun me if Melanson was better than Green upon arrival. Uh, Green has better numbers this season, and he has more recent closing experience, but Melanson um, could certainly be better than Green. It's not like it has to be one or the other. They could certainly just both be good, and that'd be that'd be fine with me. But good problem, it, yeah. Yeah, it, w- it wouldn't blow me away if two months from now, if we're talking about like September and Shane Green has this almost inevitable slump when his ERA rises a little bit from 1.18 to whatever it's actually going to be, if we were talking about Melanson being more trustworthy than Green, that would not surprise me all that much. It's a good problem to have if they're both good, but um, it also speaks to the fact that Melanson is a good pitcher. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, even Chris Martin, who we'll talk about here in a little yep. bit, even he's had a couple of save opportunities for the Rangers, especially when, <clears throat> especially with uh, they made their run over the month of June to uh, kind of at least get into contention. They've fallen off since then, but Martin was somebody who. Uh, was a closer when he was in Japan. So you talk about him. You have Melanson. Um, you have Shane Green. Uh, as, as we've seen, Luke Jackson can fill that ninth inning role. And again, you know, it depends on just your feelings on the ninth inning and if anybody can go out there and do it or if you have to have a certain kind of mindset. I think people are pretty split on that idea. But, um, yeah, if Melanson, uh, if, if you're comfortable with Melanson in the seventh, eighth, and ninth, it's a good thing, and especially once the playoffs begin you know, you just want to throw labels out the door. If if a guy was your eighth inning setup guy all year long, but all of a sudden you're in a real big jam and their best hitters coming up in the top of the fifth, you need to use your best relievers there because guess what? You might not get to the eighth inning with the lead and chance to use them. So um, all hands on deck. It's it's a good problem to have, as you said, um, and and it's uh it's good to have a, a guy who does have that closer experience, um, somebody who might not be rattled going out in the ninth inning versus someone uh, who's never done it before. Yeah, and particularly when, and we'll get to this later on the pod, but particularly when the Braves did not um, improve their rotation, they might have to use a lot of their bullpen in the playoffs. They might have to get creative and go to the bullpen in the fourth inning, like some teams do in the playoffs. And uh, that puts a lot of people, puts a lot of stress in your bullpen, and that's why you went out and added uh, three arms in two days. Um, okay, before we get to that, uh, Chris Martin is the guy we talked about a second ago. Chris Martin for Colby Allard, straight up. Kind of a weird trade in some ways and that Colby Hour is still very young and it was a you know the rarely seen one for one prospect for old guy trade uh, Martin is 33 years old kind of a weird path to this point didn't debut in the majors till 2014 was in Japan for a while but since since returning from Japan has been pretty darn good in the last two seasons you know in the RA in the threes 80 strikeouts to nine walks over a year and a half nine walks in a year and a half is insane uh 79 innings and nine walks is pretty great um this year, 3.08 ERA with 43 strikeouts and four walks. So, you know, I am uh, I've my I'm a longtime proponent of strikeout to walk ratio. So uh, I'm excited by those numbers. But he is a rental. Um, he, he was phrasing after there was some weirdness about his about his contract listing in some circles. But he's going to be a rental. It's an expiring contract. But um, Anthopoulos referenced in talking to Gabe Burns of the AJC said that um, Martin quote has as much upside as anybody on the trade market in terms of a late inning arm end quote. That's a pretty strong quote about um, Chris. Martin. Now, it might be just standard GM speak, but at the same time, upside is something that you don't necessarily equate to a 33-year-old, but he has been very good at times, and uh, definitely a a lower-profile guy when compared to Green and Melanson, but just like we were talking about a second ago, Martin is not like in a much lower tier. He is certainly capable of being one of the late-inning guys on this team um, in September October. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot to like about him. When you look, um, he's he's striking out a ton of guys. He's not walking anybody. I mean, you talk about – we talked a few minutes ago about it just being somebody else out there in the seventh, eighth, and ninth inning. I mean, a guy, breath of fresh air, someone who barely walks anybody. I mean, compared to it seems like every night lately the bullpens come in and they immediately walk the first two hitters. 
Um, he's throwing harder than he ever has in his career. Uh, just looking at his pitches here, he's, his fastball is averaging 96 miles an hour. He throws a slider uh, that's in the mid-80s. He throws a cutter, which is in the, the low to mid-90s. Um, so a guy who, who legitimately has some pretty good stuff. Um, a little bit, of, as you said, a little bit of an unconventional path. But, um, again, he, he has a lot of things to like. He's The one thing that he's kind of gotten hurt by this year is the home run ball. Uh, although he is playing in, he was playing his games in in Arlington, where uh, it's it's one of the most home run friendly stadiums in in the league. Uh, also pitching in the net, in the American League West, which is uh, probably the best offensive division in baseball this year. So um, there's a lot to like. Anthopolis, uh, as you said, it, it could just be uh, GM speak, but it's not hard to see why they feel there's some upside there. Uh, a guy who has kind of reinvented himself as he's gone along throughout his career. Um, and, and again, yet another option who, if you hand the ball in the seventh, eighth or ninth inning, uh, as long as his arm doesn't fall off, you, you feel pretty good about your chances. Yeah. Uh, that's a good way of pointing that with, uh, Chris Martin. Um, you know, Colby Aller, we should talk about for a second, you know, former first round pick of the Braves, no longer in the organization. Now his prospect status definitely fell considerably to the point where he was traded for a rental of a reliever. Um, that isn't to say that Oliver still wasn't a prospect because he was the number 16 guy on our Talking Chop prospect list and was in the top 15 or so of basically all the lists. But his star has definitely fallen quite a bit, and that kind of tells you that with just the return here. He's still 21 years old. He'll be 22 in a couple of weeks. Um, but, you know, an, an ERA in the fours in, in AAA this year is not blowing anybody away. He struggled really badly in his one brief stint in the major leagues. I think Aller could still be a major league starting pitcher, but most likely it'll be in like a, fifth, like a fourth, fifth kind of role. Yeah. He's, he's, not, he's not really likely to burn you necessarily in the way that some prospects might. So I'm okay with this. You know, the value doesn't strike me as like amazing necessarily when you're talking about a, tr- a traditional top 15 prospect in a pretty good system, but Allard's upside is kind of muted. So I'm, uh, I'm totally okay with the, uh, with the price they paid here. Yeah. He's somebody who, you know, the Braves took a chance on him and that's why you draft 17. I think he was 17 when they drafted him. Yeah, he was very uh, young. He was young and there's a lot to dream on. And I think he just didn't, uh, physically mature as much as they were hoping for. And, and he's a pretty, he's a slightly built, uh, lefty, and there's just not a whole lot of of non big left handed starters in the major leagues historically, and that doesn't mean he couldn't do it. But um, you, you combine his lack of physical growth with the stuff hasn't really progressed. Um, as we've seen, his fastball has been sitting basically around 90, um, and his breaking stuff, while not terrible, isn't good enough to uh, keep big league hitters off of you know low 90s, upper 80s heat. So. Uh, somebody who I always had high hopes for, but it, it just didn't work out. I think after having Allard in the system for four years, uh, a couple people were wondering if they maybe gave up on him too soon. You alluded he's only 21, going to turn 22 next month. Um, but I think after after working with him for three or four years, you generally have a pretty good idea of, of a prospect by that point. So, um, yeah, I, I was actually a little surprised. It was a little bit more than what I thought uh, two months would for Chris Martin would go, yep. especially with not much of a of – a, reliever market at least at that point uh, you know it wasn't like the the price for relievers was crazy whenever the trade went down but um yeah it was uh you, you hope colby figures it out with the rangers but ultimately i, I think he's a, a a prospect you're happy to give up uh to bolster a bullpen in a year where you're trying to win yeah, that, that was the one deal of the three where i at least saw some pushback from braves people um, that just were like, oh, that seems like a lot. Um, and you know, I, I can sort of see that. I, I don't again, I don't think Alward's gonna burn you, but I do I do I, I think the value wasn't like a slam dunk on that trade. The other two, I think the Braves pretty clearly, um, in my opinion, did did well on value premises. Obviously Melanson's difficult difficult to talk about just for a player return based on the money. But um, you know, the Allard for Martin Deal isn't a home run value wise, but for where the Braves are and with all the guys that they had in front of Allard, I totally get it. And I think you know I I would definitely root for him to make um, the majors and be a solid back of the rotation arm that wouldn't like make the deal bad in my opinion. Like I think you have to it's it's a calculated risk that he's not going to just yeah. become like an awesome pitcher. That's the only that's the only way this looks bad is if he blows up. But I can't imagine that really as a very likely outcome right now. So I'm okay with it. I mean you're trying to win now. I mean that's the that's the price you pay sometimes when you're in the middle of a pennant race and you want to win the World Series is uh, maybe you push a little bit harder than you would and overpay a little bit. And I'm I'm okay with that when it's not a, a a disastrous overpay and when it's for a guy that's not going to make you look bad yeah I, I don't know who made the comment um on talking chop in the comment section but it was they had a pretty good analogy it's like 
if you go to the gas station and buy a stick of gum for 90 cents and you hand the cashier a dollar and say, keep the 10 cents change, I don't want it. That's kind of what giving Allard for Martin is. You just don't really <laughs> care, you know, and it's yeah, a great analogy, that. right? You're like, all right, whatever. It's 10 cents. Yeah, sure. Maybe. I mean, the, the ultimate upside outside of Colby Allard suddenly putting uh, five miles an hour on his fastball and, and his breaking stuff improving dramatically. Um, uh, at most, he would be a number four starter. I, I kind of think he's going to be a guy who bounces around between the majors and minors and, and then ultimately uh, runs out of work once once he's out of minor league options. Um, that's not to say he couldn't figure it out or that if he does become a fourth or fifth starter, there's not value in there, especially when you're only making uh, half a million bucks or whatever the minor, uh, the minimum is right now. But um, ultimately, a guy who's on the 40-man roster for the Braves too, somebody who might have felt the roster crunch this winter as they had to move a couple guys on the 40-man, um, probably not somebody who's going to haunt you for the next decade. Yep, I'm totally fine with the trade, and uh, Martin should help. Uh, in a big way. Uh, a couple of housekeeping items for, before we get to uh, step back and go a little bit more big picture here. Uh, the Braves also traded for John Ryan Murphy as a third catcher. Uh, depth move, a, a move that everyone seemed to describe as a as a, uh, as an August move in July because of the new trade deadline stuff. Not too much to say about John Ryan Murphy other than the fact that he seems to be the third catcher um, for September when they are able to do that. And in recent years, the Braves have always seemed to go out and find a third catcher. It was, it was Chris Stewart. It was Rene Rivera. You know, it's not a big, not not a big move. Didn't have to give up anything there, but you'll probably see him on the roster in September. It probably feels like, and if as long as McCann and Flowers are healthy, um, his role will be very small. But that's kind of where I was with that. Anything strike mm-hmm. you about John Ryan Murphy? No, he's uh, he's actually a pretty fun guy to watch. I've seen him a couple times out here in Arizona. A guy who truly just goes up there and swings for the downs every time. And if he <laughs> hits the ball, it goes pretty far. But most of the time, he doesn't hit it and he strikes out. I think he struck out in like 40% of his plate appearances earlier this year. That's a lot. Um, but, you know, somebody who is regarded, he's, he's regarded as a pretty solid defensive catcher, a guy who can throw out a runner or two. And I think uh, somebody pointed out that Brian McCann was actually with the Yankees when when Murphy was there too so I'm sure they knew each other being acquaintances behind the plate um, so maybe that played a factor into it but like we said on Sunday night I mean the rosters are locked there's no more adding anybody which is kind of weird because forever it's been teams yeah you pass through the July 31st deadline but uh, you know then you have another month to to add people in case there's an injury if you just need some depth um, you can't add anybody else to your roster anymore which is pretty crazy so um, it's it's a depth move. If you bring him up in September, um, maybe the team trusts him a little bit more than Alex Jackson. Uh, should he need to catch important innings, or if Flowers or McCann get hurt? But um, yeah, just just a guy to to add to the roster, and maybe he sees a couple innings once the rosters expand. Yeah, I mean, you, you mentioned Alex Jackson. There was some reporting that he he apparently was going to be in the deal for Shane Green for a while, and then the the price came to a crescendo on Wednesday. So maybe they were actually like almost replacing Alex Jackson in some ways. Yeah. I'm guessing a little bit on that, but there, there was reporting out there that Jackson was the uh, the second piece in the uh, in, in the Shane Green deal until pretty late, when it, and it, it went from Jackson to Wentz. Um, so maybe that was it, or, they, or maybe they just wanted a third catcher. I don't know. But you know, at the end of the day, that buzz was out there. Um, Jackson you know, wasn't a catcher full-time again until fairly recently, so maybe he's not just ready to do that yet. But he was he was in the majors, wasn't he, for a second? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's not like he's not he's incapable. It's just another option, and they didn't have to give up anything to get out, go out and get John. Robert. I think it was was it just cash? I think it was. Um, yeah, so cash considerations. Yep. Nothing, uh, nothing major there. I always wanted to talk about that briefly. The other roster move that's a little bit more sad is that Luis Gahara has been DFA'd. Um, his prospect status fell dramatically. He was like a top fifty guy on some lists as, as recently as two years ago. Still very young, but just uh, has been hurt and uh, ineffective, and you know had some, had some weight issues for a while. And it's just a lot of uh, it's basically a perfect storm of um, unfortunate stuff with Luis Gahara. I think you know didn't, didn't, his mom passed away. Is that right? I believe that's right. Yeah. Well, his dad died. It was his dad who passed away. And then I think like the next day, his mom had a heart attack or had a panic oh, attack yeah, or something was... and was checked into a hospital. I mean, you know, you think about dealing with that at any age, let alone a 20 year old when you're supposed to be trying to get ready for in a know, different country, right no less. Yeah, yeah. Right. In Brazil. And it was, you know, about two months after he made his big league debut and was so impressive and people had kind of penciled him in for a rotation spot. And then all of a sudden. Uh, your dad dies and, and your mom, you know, goes through some stuff, losing her husband. And yeah, so it's really a shame. I, I like Louise. I, I 
you know, but it goes to show pitching prospects, man. I mean, you, you think you have one who is on his way to being a frontline starter, which is what so many thought for Gahara and, and the injuries and the, you know, the weight was always a problem, like you said, and he just couldn't seem to couldn't seem to catch that break to get his career going. Yeah, I mean, he's still only 23 years old. It wouldn't that wouldn't stun me if he rebounded at some point. Um, he he actually threw 49 innings in the major leagues for the Braves, and was yeah. not terrible. Like he was, you know, his, his ERA wasn't bad. Uh, his ERA wasn't great, I should say. His but his peripherals were actually pretty pretty solid, and he had, he showed some signs. He had a couple of really nice starts along the way. So, you know, I, I hope best for Luis. It was uh, not a huge surprise that it happened. It was just more of a bummer than anything else. They they probably need, just need their forty man spot and have to go ahead and move on from him. But um, you know, I'm re- I'm rooting for him. Um, he was someone yeah, who I, I know we, we we liked on this podcast quite a bit, and I know our prospect guys liked him as well at times. And uh, hopefully he he regains that. But he's the one guy. You know, a couple years ago, again, he would have been a top five. I, I actually should have looked at where we had him on our list, but he was definitely a top ten guy of the system for a while at, at minimum. So. Yeah, unfortunate, but it, it happens, man. Pitching prospects, as you mentioned, and uh, the turnover is considerable. But I always wanted to mention that he is no longer with the Braves as of today. Um, okay, step back now. Um, the Braves overall in the last two days, they traded basically four prospects. Um, none of those guys are elite, and well, I guess maybe five prospects if you want to f- uh, if you want to include. Um, Dan Winkler, but I wouldn't include Dan Winkler. Uh, so f- uh, four prospects and Dan Winkler. Um, none of those guys in the top ten. And they do t- they do take on the big the big salary for Mark Melanson, but um, you know they spent money they went over payroll as Anthopoulos said. Um, what what do you make of the overall moves? And then I want to ask you what the bullpen looks like because that's of course where all the moves happen because the bullpen, looking ahead, is now I hesitate to call it a strength because it's just until you see it, it's not a situation where I can be comfortable enough to say it's a strength. But on paper, it does not appear to be a glaring weakness anymore, which is uh, what you wanted to address. Yeah, I think uh, I don't think anyone's going to go and say, "Well, the Braves bullpen is is now the best in the major leagues by any by any uh, by any means." But I do think it's significantly improved, and that was what we sat here on Sunday night. And honestly, to add three of them, I think most people would have been happy if they added two. And I think once I don't know about you, but once I saw the Shane Green trade go down, um, you know, I kind of thought they were done. I thought Me that too. was going to be Anthopoulos' bigger move, and then I think Buster only reported that. Uh, they were close to getting Mark Melanson done, who actually did waive his no-trade clause. I didn't realize that until a little bit earlier, but um, he did waive it in order to come to Atlanta. So He gets um, all his money yeah. anyway, Scott. He still, gets, <laughs> he still gets all the money, but uh, it's kind of funny. You know, it's, that, that is worth, I, I shouldn't make fun of that because you know, it's, it's not a small thing. I know people want to always ignore that guys don't want to get traded and maybe have no-trade clauses, but you know, I wouldn't want to move either. If I, if I lived a place, um, granted, they're all, they're all making millions of dollars. I, I get all that. But if I have the choice, if I like it in San Francisco and uh, if my choice is move somewhere else or stay there, I'm probably going to stay there. Um, all things equal. Now, granted, the Braves are, gonna make the, are probably going to make the playoffs this year and the Giants won't. So maybe that's maybe that's a factor here. But it's not a small thing when guys weigh their no trade clauses because um, they, you know, they have to move and do all that like life stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So and he's a guy who's been around, too. It's not like it's some like 23 year old who's, you know, yeah, absolutely. I'll go wherever I can. Just play me. Right. Um, but yeah, the fact that they significantly improved the bullpen, at least on paper, um, and didn't have to give up a single prospect. I mean, again, we talk about Alex Anthopoulos as a general manager. Now he's gone through two winters and two trade deadlines, and he's given up Joey Wentz. He's given up Colby Allard. Uh, he's given up uh, Travis Demerit if you feel like he's a prospect. I mean, he hasn't given up any prospects, and I think that's what he learned from the Dodgers who have – uh, kind of infamously now, I mean, they seldom give up big time prospects. And if they want to make a deal, they are willing to eat money, which is what the Braves did today with Melanson. If they want a player who's making a little bit more money, they're open to taking on money rather than spending the prospect capital. So, um, in order to, uh, to do that, as you said, you have to be, have, you have to have ownership buy in and they did in this situation. It's nice to see. Um, I, I think the Braves are a lot better right now than they are 24 hours ago with the bullpen. Um, hopefully it gives a couple of those guys who've been really called upon all year long, a little bit of a breather. Um, and, and then they strap in cause you've got two months and today you get six and a half games up on the, on the Nats and Phillies, uh, which was really important. Um, and I, and I know you said you guys will talk about, uh, the individual games next week, but it was kind of overlooked with all the trade deadline madness that the Braves went to Philly and to DC and won series against both the Phillies and nationals. Um, I, I think that's just kind of being overlooked a little bit amongst all the trade deadline chaos. I mean, that was really important. You think about if the Braves went two and four over this week instead of four and two, 
all of a sudden the standings look a whole lot different. So oh, um, sure. it was good. To, it was good to, to wrap up the road trip uh, with a win. And then in order to add uh, those three guys like they did is obviously a big win for the organization. Yeah, the team um, is clearly better um, than it was a couple of days ago. And, you know, again, relievers are sometimes volatile, so there's not a ton of safety in that. But, you know, that was a spot we identified for a long time that they had to improve, and they went out and improved it. So you can't be too upset by that, obviously. Um, now, we have to spend a little bit of time on what they didn't do. And that means the outfield is the same as it was two days ago um, after the Marquecas injury, and the starting pitching rotation is exactly the same. And I'm more worried about, about the starting pitching than I am about the outfield. But, you know, outfield, let's, let's just go to the outfield first. We discussed this just a few days ago, but since then, Adam Duvall has been scalding and hitting the ball out of the ballpark every other at-bat. And uh, Ender Enciarte, I'm less surprised by just because he's someone who's been good in the past and been a 3-4 or win player in the past. Um, and obviously, Duvall has, Duvall has been as well, not quite as, as Ender, but um, Ender's just kind of doing Ender stuff right now. Maybe a little bit more power than he normally has, but Duvall's actually just been out of his mind. Do you think um, those guys playing well took the pressure off them to make a move in the outfield. I, I kind of go back and forth on that to the point where I would not want to be relying on a small sample like that to make real decisions. But there also just weren't a lot of trades around baseball. Like the Braves yeah. made three trades and they probably made like half the trades in baseball. <laughs> yeah. uh, there were, I mean, the, the, the Zach Granke bombshell drop late. That was a weird one. Um, and he has a, t- you know, a ton of money and all that stuff with Houston. But there just weren't that many deals in the last two days that didn't involve the Braves. So I sort of have some sympathy for that, but you know, in the outfield it's still the same. They have they have options. They have they have Duvall, they have Ender, they have Matt Joyce, they have Charlie Culberson, they have Yon Camargo, and of course Ronald Acuna. But um, you know, they didn't do anything with with the lineup. And we talked about that a few days ago. But are you okay with them staying put in the lineup? Yeah. I'm okay with it. I think um, more so than the rotation, where I'm still kind of terrified. But where are you at on the lineup now that they didn't do it, that they really didn't make any upgrades? Yeah, I mean, I think four days ago, I wouldn't have been in the same situation that you are. But yeah, I mean, Duvall's looked great. Uh, I think he's hit, what, four homers now since since coming up. Um, Ender has been looking more like the second half Ender that he's been, which is a pretty good hitter. And we talked about his glove and his defense. And even he's just an okay hitter uh, with his glove in center field, You, he's a playable guy. So Certainly. I do think it, it played a factor. I'm with you. I, you never want to let four games determine if you're going to make a move or not. Um, but if, if Adam Duvall and Ender went a combined 0 for 30 over the last three night or over the last, you know, four or five nights since the Marcakis injury, I think you would have been more likely to see them go after a, you know, a Nick Castellanos who went to the Cubs, uh, maybe try to get it on Puig before the Trevor Bauer, uh, crazy deal happened. So, um, yeah, I mean, I don't feel, I'm not as concerned about the outfield right now because as we've talked about, Duvall's hitting well, Ender's hitting well, you have Acuna, Matt Joyce is, is serviceable, especially against right-handed pitching. Uh, you can probably throw Charlie Culberson or, or Johan Camargo out there if, if you need to. Um, so it's it's not a team strength, but I think you, you have at least enough on the roster right now to help kind of fill that out. Uh, plus, um, you, you also have the roster constraint to worry about, and I'm not sure, especially with Dansby coming back on Saturday, uh, which has been reported, um, you have to have a spot on the 25-man roster for anybody to add. I'm just not sure there's an obvious person that you're you're good to drop off um, at yep. this point in time. I agree. I mean, Marquecas is also scheduled to return. Yeah. Um, you know, and we'll see what happens there. But I think you know they're probably planning on him coming back at some point. Um, and listen, you know, at, we we've been high on Adam Duvall on this podcast. Um, there was a little bit there's a little bit of vindication in the last few days for Adam Duvall. I won't take a victory lap there, but like we've just been talking about the fact that he's been the same guy this entire time. He had he had one brutal brutal stretch at a really bad time last year when he arrived. But um, he's someone who's going to hit for power and not probably hit for average and play solid defense and just be himself and himself is a solid major league baseball player um is he gonna have a two a 289 wrc plus like he has right now uh no but you know by the way for the the, the numbers on Adam Duvall right now 11 hits in 23 plate appearances four home runs six runs six rbis and a um 289 wrc plus a 1091 slugging percentage so far Pretty good. Slugging, not OPS, slugging. Um, <laughs> Pretty good. But anyway, uh, you know, Duvall, Duvall and Ender are Major League starting caliber outfielders. They're not going to blow you away necessarily, but those guys are starting caliber players. And if you factor in the fact, you know, they have other options as well. They're okay in the outfield. I think we said that on the, on the last podcast too. Like, it wasn't like an urgent thing. Would it, would it have been nice to add someone? Sure. But I think, you know, 
Duvall looking like a like his old self does certainly help a little bit, and Ender, of course, um, looking like his old self also helps. So, you know, I'm okay with him not adding in the outfield. I want to at least bring it up because since we talked about it a couple of days ago. The rotation is a bigger concern for me, uh, and some of that's papered over by the fact that you made your bullpen a lot better, and in the playoffs, maybe you just go to the bullpen earlier. We discussed that on the last podcast as well. Like Maybe you just go with a short rotation and um, play the modern baseball that basically when you're going to the bullpen in the fourth, fifth inning all the time, but... You know, they didn't change anything in, starting, in the starting pitching. And something that was pointed out to me and reminded of um, in the last couple of days was that Mike Soroka has been far and away your best pitcher this season. Um, he might have an innings cap. And I, I haven't really talked about that a lot. I haven't really thought about it a lot. But Mike Soroka has never thrown 200-plus innings in a season. And if he's going to be your number one starter in the playoffs, he needs to throw more than 200 innings. And that's a lot of innings. Like, I think he's been very good this year, obviously. But aside from Dallas Keuchel... And Julio has been very good, which is worth pointing out again. He's been uh, very, very good recently. Um, but Mike Soroka having an innings cap makes <laughs> – makes. I'm not, I'm not sure that he does, by the way. But there's just some uncharted territory with him uh, as your number one starter. I mean, you have options. You have Keiko, You have Julio. You have Max Freed. Um, Kevin Gossman. Mike Fultonavich is supposed to be coming back at some point. Um, but, you know, I'm not exactly overjoyed by the rotation at this point. Do I, does this not seem like a World Series rotation to me? Um, you know, anything can happen in the playoffs when you have the lineup that they have and the bullpen that they have now. But um, it does not—it does not inspire me, Scott. Is the best way I'll put that. It does not inspire me. <laughs> yeah, you know, I agree with you. Um, the idea of basically those four guys that you mentioned, and then some combination of Gosman, Fultonevich, maybe they give someone like Tugi Toussaint or Kyle Wright, who's pitched well, had another good start tonight with Gwinnett. Maybe one of those guys gets some, some chances to start games uh, down the stretch, To even if it's just to limit innings for Soroka a little bit. As you said, he's never fo- thrown a full big league season before. Um, I would be more concerned or more upset about it if there was more activity on the starting rotation market yeah. over the last 24 hours. I mean, no one got traded. Um, Grant, I mean, Grant, that, that was a weird one, man. That was really and, weird. And that was one where, I mean, the Astros are going to take on a ton of his money. Plus, they gave up like three of their top ten prospects for him. I mean, that was a, I mean, that was a, a, a true blockbuster deal. But other than him, uh, Zach Wheeler didn't get traded. Madison Bumgarner didn't get traded. Um, Noah Syndergaard didn't get traded. Um, the only guy who kind of hurts a little bit is Marcus Stroman because of when he was traded and the return that Toronto got, especially compared to what some teams got for their pitchers today. Yeah, um, <laughs> that's the that one that the feels one like guy. it should have been upstaged. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that's that's the one that hurts. But, you know, I always caution people, and I know you know this too, but we, we can't assume the Braves would have, you know, beat it or, you know, teams always want to prefer other things. You know, it's it's easy to say the Braves could have and should have beaten that return. And I agree with you, but it, it's never that simple. So that's worth pointing out. Um, it, it's never as easy. I'm trying to tell myself that as well. It's like, okay, Stroman probably should be on the bridge right now. But it's just a situation where, you know, it's never linear. You can't just assume that, w- that it would have gotten done for the prospects that you think are better than the, than the ones they got, et cetera. It's all about kind of personal preference and timing and layers upon layers. And that deal, we made, we made fun of it on Wednesday. I mean, on, on Sunday. It never made sense to me either why he was going there. But it happened, and I agree. He's the one weird one. I mean, Trevor Bauer would have been nice in Atlanta too. He's kind of an insane person, but he's good. He's good. He's good at pitching. Um, but that yeah. was a weird trade too. That was a weird three-team like kind of bizarre trade. So the guys who we talked about a lot, aside from Stroman, didn't get moved. And Granky man, like that was a true all-in move by Houston. Now Houston. Yeah can afford to do that because they have a World Series team. Like, that's a team that could win the World Series, and now they're going to be favored to win the World Series. It's Houston and the Dodgers and everybody else, according to Vegas and, every, and kind of all the stuff right now. Houston is now the favorite, which you would you see, you can see why. They won the World Series recently. They're loaded top to bottom. They're just in a situation the Braves aren't in where – could the Braves win the World Series? Sure, they absolutely could. But the Astros are now, like, the favorites to win the World Series. And in order to do that kind of move, you kind of need to be the – the favorite, like to take on all that money and give up all they get, all they gave up for Granky. Um, we're, we're sort of going far afield, but that's why that deal happened. And the, if the Braves did that, I probably wouldn't be. I mean, I, I don't know. Would I praise it? Would I kill it? I don't really know. Like, there's not really. A, it's it's a weird move in that it would obviously help. Granky would be awesome in Atlanta, but yeah. I totally get why the Braves may not have wanted to do something like that. Yeah, it, it was that was, a, that was a big deal. thing to do. 
Yeah, it was an obvious deal for Houston to make. I'm not sure it was an obvious deal for the Braves to make, right? Correct. I agree. Um, so, yeah, see, as you look around, other than Grinky, who was part of that crazy deal, and other than Bauer, who was part of a three-team deal, which I'm sure took a while to put together. And Bauer's I mean, insane. Again, Bauer's insane. <laughs> yeah, and I'm not sure you necessarily want it. Yeah, he's just kind of a weird guy. And, and really, you look at his numbers this year, he's not having the incredible year that he was having last year. Um, you look, I mean, Tanner Roark, I'm not sure Tanner Roark is, really moves the needle for you compared to what Gosman or Fulton Evich are going to give you. Yeah, I was gonna um, say, I'm not sure. I, I'm not sure I would. Um, you know, I'm not the biggest Fulton guy in the world. I'm not sure. Roark, I'm not sure I'd rather have Roark than Fulton Evich right now for the rest of the season. Yeah, or Gosman. I mean, even I know Gosman had the. You know, he was not great against Philly, but you know, it was one pitch that basically undid his entire night. And, he, and you know, you forget that he had that great start against the Nationals when he came back. I'm not sitting here saying those guys are the answers or they're going to carry the Braves to the World Series. But, you know, it'd be one thing if Bumgarner and Wheeler and Syndergaard and uh, another half dozen pitchers got traded at the deadline at reasonable cost. Uh, you know, it, it was reported. I don't know how accurate it is, but hey, uh, a writer for Yahoo reported that the Mets were looking for either uh, Kyle Wright or Ian Anderson for Zach Wheeler. Um, I mean, if that was really what they wanted, you can imagine why Anthopolis would. I mean, I would hope he would like hang up on the. Let, let, me, let me say this. Real, let me let me say this. If they if they traded Kyle Wright for Zach Wheeler, I wouldn't have imploded. Oh, I would have. But I, I, I wouldn't. I, I'm not saying I would have. I'm not saying I would have done that because I, I wouldn't have done that. But I I would not have murdered them if they traded Ian Anderson. I would have killed them for it. I think Anderson's <laughs> yeah. just a better prospect. Um, oh, for sure. You know, I. I Again, I would not have done Kyle Wright for Zach Wheeler, but I, I I would have understood that move more. I would not have killed them for it. I think people would have, including you, and I, I'm not sure what what Eric would have said. Um, my head would not have exploded if that deal happened. If it had been Anderson, I would have I would have lost my mind. But yeah, um, yeah, just wanted to point that out. I mean, maybe maybe that's a hot take by me, and I think I'm a little bit lower on right now. No, that's what we've fair. Recently, I mean, but, yeah. Know. Yeah, and I've always believed in Ryan. I mean, again, he's he's been frustrating to watch. I, I think the he's one of those tantalizing prospects where you see him dominate in the minors, then he comes up to the bigs, and you're like, dude, what are you doing? Like, get off the mound. You you have no business here. Yeah, he's um, he's looks. I I, I kind of can't unsee how bad he's looked sometimes, which is probably my fault. And I'm not I'm not the prospect guy. Like I I always defer to Eric and the guys who watch the guys more often than I do about prospects. So I admittedly this is not a strength of mine. But I, I just can't unsee how bad he's been in a few different spots. When I've been watching him, like, man, he does not look like a major league pitcher right now. And granted, he he's super talented. I'm not telling you that he's like done or anything. For sure. He's still yeah, prospects. Yeah, yeah. But uh, you know, that's probably why I'm saying this out loud. And none of it, none of this matters now anyway. But you're right. The, the fact that they were asking for that, if that is true, that tells you why he wasn't traded. You know, yeah, that's yeah. That. and and I I don't blame the front office for not meeting it. So yeah, I mean, I'm with you. Maybe in in two and a half months, we're we're really lamenting the Braves as. Uh, not adding a starting pitcher, but I think we're going to. Uh, by the way, <laughs> I mean it's probably going to be the case. I can, see, I can see that coming a mile away at this point, just because you know if if something, it's just so easy for me to see a situation where you get into a playoff series with with this rotation, or even less if somebody gets hurt or if somebody implodes between now and then. Um, you get into, if you get into a series with the Dodgers or somebody like this, and you're throwing out Kevin Gosman in a playoff series and it's like, all right, this isn't probably going to work. Um, yeah. So I, I could already see us discussing this in early October about, man, this is a bad rotation to be put out of the playoff series. Um, I'm not going to murder them now for not training anybody because of what we just said. There just weren't that many options apparently. And you don't want to overpay and sell the farm. Um, and, you know, in a perfect world, there is a rotation that makes some sense here on this team, you know, Soroka, Keuchel and whoever, Whoever's hot at that yeah, point in time, Toronto, if Fulte finds if, yeah. if Fulte finds himself, or if Julio continues to be this guy, like who, who the Julio from this year, so far, is someone who yeah, and is as a, as a third fourth playoff starter is fine. Um, so there's a world in which this works. It's just a situation where I, I'm not in love with the rotation. If you if you want to compare it to the Dodgers or the Astros, and the teams that are trying to win the World Series at a little bit higher level than the Braves are right now. You know the Braves are a lot worse than those teams in the, in the rotation, which is not breaking nope. ground here. It's not like no, and it's again, no. it's it, it's it's baseball. Like one guy gets hot, sure, Keuchel finds himself in his Cy Young form, sure. Uh, it's just you know it has to be said that this is not a strength of the team right now. And I think the one thing, the the one silver lining to this is, you know, not to go too far down the road here, but if the Braves win the East. And barring a complete collapse from the Dodgers, the Dodgers are going to be the one seed and they will play the wild card winner. And the Braves yes. will be presumably the two seed against 
the three seed in the in the NL Central, which is going to be the Cubs, Cardinals, or Brewers. They're virtually all tied. The good news is, is you look at the Cubs rotation, and it's not anything not great. great. It's probably the yep. best of the three, but it's John Lester, it's Cole Hamels, and it's uh, Jose Quintana, I guess. Uh, maybe you Darvish, none of which are, are exactly inspiring options. Um, the Cardinals are even worse than that. I mean, they have Miles Michaelis and Jack Flaherty, who are okay. I mean, Adam Wainwright is their number three starter, and they didn't do anything at the deadline, um, which is a problem for them. And, and then the Brewers have all kinds of injuries. Their uh, their two best pitchers are hurt. So what I'm getting at is, you know, uh, as things stand, you're not going to see the Dodgers until potentially the you know the the NLCS. You're not going to see obviously the Astros until the World Series, which is a little bit of a silver lining. I'm with you. I wish. I think ideally. They would have added a starter. I think most people would have liked to see them add a starter, uh, especially with some of the names that were rumored to be out there. But just because there was so little action on the starting pitcher market, except for those couple big names that we mentioned, um, I'm not as frustrated or as disappointed by it, I guess. Yeah, no, I totally understand that. And, you know, to your point, and again, not trying to get too far down the line, just like you said, the the only teams in the National League that have terrifying rotations are the Dodgers and the Nationals, and you won't either. Either Nationals are not going to make the playoffs at all, or you won't see them for a while. So yeah. because they're in your division, and obviously the wild card, all that stuff. Like the Nationals have that top three that's pretty scary, um, but they're they may not make the playoffs at all. So you know, there's no one in the Central that scares you. Like, could you lose to the Cubs in a playoff series? Of course you could. Cardinals, same thing. Brewers, same thing. But um, to your point, and it's a good one. There's not there's none of these teams other than the Dodgers in the National League are. A mismatch for you right now so no. that kind of gives you some cover and again it might work out if Soroka is as good as he's been this year that really helps you and there is there are more than four or five options like that's the one good thing is that maybe you find three or four of these guys out of your six or seven options that does allow you more wiggle room by the time you get to October so you know again I, I don't love not adding one not adding anyone um, it does help that you added three bullpen guys instead of one or two um getting three allows you to maybe if things work out in the bullpen you go with the new school approach of you know maybe you have two stars that you trust and everybody else you're basically just throwing bullpen games like you want to try to get as far as you can with julio tehran or max free in a playoff game and then you just go to the bullpen and see what happens and that happens all the time if you watch if you watch modern baseball in the playoffs um there's often bullpens in the game in the third or fourth inning. It's it's I'm not I'm not even exaggerating here. Like that happens very regularly. So mm-hmm. yeah. uh, having three new guys in the bullpen allows you to at least consider that. Because if you were talking about trying to throw the Braves in a playoff game like that with their with their with their pre deadline uh, bullpen, can you imagine like um, no. the seven eight guys that were on the team before trying to navigate a playoff series that would not have gone well. So no no and that and I think that's. You know, as we talked about on Sunday, we feel good about this front office. I mean, this is a well-oiled we machine. Anthopolis, I know people get on him for whatever. And I'm not going to act like I haven't criticized the guy, too, over the last two years. But he knows what he's doing. People he's surrounded himself with in the front office know what they're doing. And, you know, the proof is in the pudding. They won 90 games last year. They're going to win 90 games again this year, 90-plus games um, yeah, I, 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 at this point in the, after almost two full seasons with Anthopolis running the show, I think he's kind of earned the benefit of the doubt. And if all of a sudden, you know, the Braves get stomped again in the playoffs or, uh, or, you know, falter down the stretch, then I think it's fair to, to look to him. But at least for now, at least for me anyway, he's earned the benefit of the doubt because, um, kind of everything he's done so far, uh, for the most part, he's not perfect, but nobody is, but I think he's done a pretty good job. Yeah, for sure. No, I I am a big fan of Anthopolis. I like the hire. I like everything. Not everything he's done, but like overall, it's definitely a positive passing grade for me for Anthopolis to this point in time. Um, one thing before we get out of here that we should have done a second ago. And that's my fault for being a bad host. Um, the bullpen now, you know, Mark Bowman projected um, on Twitter that he expects Green, Melanson, and Martin to replace AJ Minter, uh, Walker, and Sabatka. Um, that's kind of what we were thinking too, between you and I offline before Bowman said that. And I think that's kind of where we are settling here. That would, uh, translate to an interesting group in the bullpen. Um, I don't know. Is there anything that you wanted to like throw out there about how to construct the bullpen at this point in time? Cause I think there, there is some wiggle room, but like you have guys like Jerry Blevins who aren't going to blow you away. Josh Tomlin is not going to blow you away except for not, not walking anybody, but you know, they now have at least the three guys plus Swarzak plus Luke Jackson and you would assume Sean Newcomb, if he can find himself after today, he was not good today. But, um, you know, 
is that is that kind of what you're expecting? Those, those three guys and Minter, Walker, and Sabaka? Because I mean, Minter, without going too far afield, Minter has been disappointing. <laughs> yeah, he, he's been a pretty big disappointment all year long. Um, yeah, I think I mean you you look at the bullpen. I know a couple people asked, asked about um, Jerry Blevins, who seems to pitch like once every nine days, but. Um, he's a veteran and he's a loogie. And as long as he's used that way, you know, if you bring him in, in the sixth inning to face Juan Soto with the bases loaded, it's not the end of the world. Right. I mean, that's uh, using him correctly is fine. Um, Josh Tomlin is kind of your innings eater. I get why they want to keep him around. So yeah, I mean, you have Minter Walker and Savatka all have minor league options. You send them down to Gwinnett. Maybe they figure it out over the next month and you bring them up, uh, for bullpen depth in September, um, Jacob Webb was also transferred to Gwinnett tonight for a rehab assignment, which is good. Get him in there. Um, I'm not entirely sure what they'll do once he's ready to go. Maybe they'll do a phantom, uh, IL stint for somebody, uh, just so they aren't, aren't losing somebody who's out of options. Yeah. Um, and then Grant Dayton is somebody who, uh, I was really impressed by before he, he broke his toe. Um, somebody from the one concern or, or one area that wasn't necessarily addressed today was all three of the the pitchers are right-handed that they added. Yep. Um, it would have been nice to add another lefty. Um, but if, if you believe in Grant Dayton, and I believe the front office does, he's somebody who should be back in a couple of weeks as well from the left side um, who could be that another left-handed option out of the bullpen uh, in September and in the play in the playoffs. So. Um, yeah, there isn't. Um, that's the one. The one thing you're looking at this bullpen, there really is not a single lefty that I fully trust. I mean, there there are options left-handed um, that you mentioned. I mean, Newcomb, Newcomb, I guess would be your high leverage lefty at the moment. But sure. you know, with, with his background, it's not like he's a dominant. You know, you don't see him as that like lefty stopper kind of guy. He was a starting pitcher. You know, it's the situation where I know he has great stuff when he has it going. But I don't. I just don't vision him like as your just complete lockdown one batter left-handed guy. So they don't have that guy that I love. You know, Blevins is there, Dayton is there. But when you have, you know, it doesn't necessarily matter when you guys when you have really good options. But um, something to keep in mind because I, I hadn't thought about that until you said it just now. And you're right. It would be nice if uh, if one of these guys was left-handed. But not a perfect world. And they uh, you, you can only kind of do what you're able to do. Yeah, I'm with you. And again, if, if these are your guys who are your seventh and eighth options out of the bullpen, it's not the end of the world. Uh, um, I, I, you know, again, we've talked about how much this bullpen has improved just with in the last 24 hours. It's really encouraging. And if you get Webb back, who's been good, his peripherals are a little bit more scary. He's been a little bit lucky this year. But again, he has an ERA of like 1.2, which obviously speaks for itself. And we talked about Dayton. Um, I think there's at least enough here where you aren't suddenly counting on these guys for the seventh, eighth, ninth innings like you were uh, just a couple of days ago. Yeah, it was. Uh, it, it will be nice to not have to count on guys that you don't trust in high leverage situations. Um, oh, by the way, just for uh, housekeeping sake, I just looked this up as we were talking. Sean Newcomb actually has better career numbers against righties and lefties. How about that? Hmm. It's it's only marginal, uh, and he's been pretty good against yeah. both sides. But uh, it's only a few points in OPS and TOPS plus and all those things. But he's actually been better against righties than lefties. Interesting. I don't think. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, he I did not know that like, until right now. That's why yeah. I was talking. I was like, I'm not sure. I'm I'm not sure I know his platoon splits. I looked it up, and uh, just worth noting. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I get it. I mean, he doesn't have like a wipeout breaking ball that would just be lethal for lefties. You know, like lefties on lefties, where it looks like it's going to hit you in the face, and then it goes right down the middle <laughs> of the plate. Yeah. Um, it's not a small like thing, a, but I wanted to like point it Jerry out. Jerry Levins, who's like basically picking the ball up off the ground when he releases it, and yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I would believe that. Yeah, it's not just you know, it's just it probably goes back to him, him being a starter. He wasn't supposed to be, the, you know, the lefty stopper. He was supposed to be able to get everybody out, and he's done a pretty good job of that this year, aside from today. Um, and he's been solid in the bullpen. So want to at least reference that. All right, Scott, we, we spent almost, I guess, actually, we're, we are past the hour mark at this point in time, which is mm. uh, surprising on a Wednesday evening. But not really when you're talking about all the stuff we had that we had to get through. Any final thoughts? I mean, my, my final thought is that the Braves are better than they were. And, you know, it may not work out perfectly, but individually, I had no problem with any of the moves. And uh, in totality, they really improved this roster, which is what you can ask for. And again, kudos to management for allowing them to spend. And they, they've they raised their payroll, something we harped on quite a bit early. Between Keuchel and these moves, they're now spending real money, and they took out money for next year. They're not going you know fully all in in the way that like the Astros are, but this is a, uh, a push for this year. And I really appreciate that as uh, someone following the team and covering the team that they're, they're trying to win now. Yeah, I mean, I think it's as all in as this team can realistically go. And, yep. and we've talked, this is not a team where you want to start trading away your top three prospects 
for the chance to win a World Series the next year or two. The window, at least right now, it seems like it's pretty wide and it's going to be open for a while. Um, but yeah, I mean, to add three good relievers to your bullpen, uh, three guys with a little bit of track record too, some veterans, um, to be able to do that without surrendering, you know, whatever prospect list you want to look at, but not surrendering one of your top guys is, is a win. Um, they added money, which is, which is nice to see, especially when we heard that they wanted to save some money in the off season, uh, in order to have some flexibility in the middle of the year, as much as it was mocked. You know, guess what? They used that money on Dallas yep, Keuchel. They used, they used that money on Melanson and Green, and um, so yeah, it's you know, it's it's uh, it's it was a good day for the Braves, and and now with truly two months to go, which is kind of crazy. Um, they're in the middle of a weird stretch where they really could use some uh, some bullpen help. I know they they come home for four games against the Reds, but then they're back on the road. I think for seven uh, seven straight. So you almost treat this home these home four games as like another stop on a lengthy road trip, just because you're. You're there for you know just like 90 hours, and then you're back on a plane. So um, yeah, it's an important stretch for the Braves. And being up six and a half, the Phillies just lost, so they're up six and a half on Washington, seven on the Phillies, which is nice. Uh, and just kind of get ready because uh, before we know it, it'll be uh, the end of the year. Will be here. Yeah, we're we're getting there. Um, you know, as of an hour and a half from now, we'll be in August, and at least in where I live, uh, four and a half hours or three and a half. Where, are you three hours right now or two hours? I never know with Arizona. It's three hours. Weird. Yeah, so it's like seven forty-five. Yep. So there you go. Um, yeah, I mean, we're, we're getting there. Uh, it's almost August. And listen, we'll have another podcast in a few days. We're planning to record in our traditional Sunday night slot with uh, more game talk and looking ahead to the schedule and just, you know, non-trade stuff. And now we'll settle in now because it's you know, no more no more big transactions anyway between now and uh, the offseason. So a lot of just nitty-gritty baseball talk and previewing and hopefully talking about the playoffs and, and where the Braves are and et cetera. But I, I kind of enjoy the transaction game, so it's good to talk about all the moves. And uh, again, uh, an, an approval from me, to be honest with you, and uh, that's always a good place to be. I'm not um, always hesitant to criticize the Braves. If they do something that I don't like, I will tell you, as we all know, we often, we often have the reputation of being too negative, but uh, pretty positive about this uh, last uh, couple of months in transaction world. So that's good. Yeah, much better than like three years ago where they were 30 games below 500 and we had to do a podcast every week. And it was like, dear God, what in, are we going to In August, talk about like, this? yeah, as, as soon yeah. as the deadline passed uh, in those seasons, it was like, all right, give me some prospects to call up. Somebody call up a prospect. Otherwise, yeah, and I have you nothing only, to say. <laughs> you can only talk so much about a you know Mississippi Braves game on uh, on a <laughs> random Sunday afternoon. Yeah, well, Eric, so. Eric, Eric can do it, but uh, Eric knows prospects in a way that I'm just never going to do. Uh, and speaking of Eric, he'll be, he'll be on to share his thoughts in the near future. I believe we have Road to Atlanta coming in the next couple of days as well. So stay tuned for that. Please subscribe to this podcast. If you're a new listener, welcome. We are uh, here usually twice a week. This this show once a week um, with myself and uh, either Eric or Scott most of the time. And then uh, in the middle of the week, usually, this is an emergency podcast day. We're normally Sunday. But uh, in the middle of the week, we have the Road to Atlanta podcast, which is minor league focused with Eric Cole and Garav and Garrett and all those guys that like to talk about minor league baseball and they're experts in the field. Uh, no one does a better job on minor league prospects for the for the Braves than they do. I trust them implicitly and uh, will always refer to their um, analysis over my own. <laughs> so uh, all that to say, please subscribe to this podcast. Be the platform of your choice. We should be everywhere. And if we're not there, please let me know and I'll fix that. Scott, thank you for joining me, my friend. Um, any final thoughts before we get out of here? Uh, thanks as always for having me on. It was uh, a lot of fun and and hopefully uh, hopefully we're we're uh, these moves pay off, and, and we're not uh, lamenting the bullpen coming in every single day like it's been since the All-Star break, and, and uh, it should do a lot of good for the team. Yep, I agree. I second that. Uh, follow Scott on Twitter. Follow me if you like basketball talk and uh, some baseball. There'll be more baseball as we get going here into the playoffs, and uh, follow the site at Talking Chop. Also, we, we had a huge day traffic-wise. I'm not going to tell you exactly how much we uh, had traffic-wise, but uh, a lot of people clicked on, on, on our site today, which I really appreciate, so please keep reading about the Braves at TalkingChop.com. And we'll see everybody, um, at least for me, in a couple of days in this space. 